Welcome back to the Original Gangsters Podcast. I'm Jimmy Bucciolato, here with my co-conspirator, Scott Bernstein. Hey, now. And uh, we're in studio here, happy to bring you another episode. Uh, for this one, we're going to talk about a, a recent topic. We actually uh, previewed this a little bit in our last episode uh, on, on the Chicago Mob, that we're going to get into some of the stuff going on in New York. There's a recent huge uh, gangland hit in New York, and uh, Alpo Martinez was slain, and uh, he was a big Harlem drug lord back in the day. And so it's, it's interesting not only for from like an organized crime perspective and gangland perspective, but it, it crosses over, has a lot of implications for pop culture, you know, music and movies. These are things Scott and I are interested in. So um, that's what we're going to talk about today, the recent murder of Alpo Martinez. So so, Bernie, you've been reporting on this a lot in Gangster Report. You want to tell us, um, maybe kind of introduce this, this yeah. dude and why he, why it's so significant? So, I mean, if you're from New York City, um, you know, Alpo Martinez is a street legend's street legend, um, especially while his reign was, you know, in real time, uh, he was a godlike figure in in uh, the Harlem dope game, along with his uh, two childhood friends, uh, AZ, uh, Faison, and uh, Rich Porter. And uh, if you're a fan of hip-hop music, which Jimmy and I both are, and uh, pay attention to rap lyrics, you know, over the last 25 years, um, the likes of Jay-Z and Shine and and Biggie Smalls and uh, a lot of other people have, have shouted out Rich Porter and Alpo, uh, AZ, uh, as, you know, these these gangland icons. And, and by, I should say, by shouting them out as often as they do, they've become these gangland icons um, even more so than they were when they were uh, at the height of their power in the late 80s and they were controlling the whole crack game in, uh, in all of Harlem and were, were living, 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 the, living la vida loca, as, uh, as Ricky Martin once said, <laughs> living the crazy life and uh, especially Alpo and, and Rich Porter. Um, they uh, were very flashy, very flamboyant. Uh, Alpo was very violent, was a suspect in two dozen murders. Um, and eventually Alpo turned on Rich Porter and murdered him. And that was kind of the beginning of the end of, of that, uh, in that chapter of, uh, the New York drug game, AZ, you know, AZ, uh, fortunately for him, um, you know, he's someone that avoided the cautionary tale and, and AZ, you know, got out when the gooding was good and, uh, ducked away when all the craziness started and, uh, Alpo ended up killing Rich and then ended up going to Washington DC and, and trying to get into the DC drug game. And and fill a void that was left by uh, Rayful Edmund uh, being incarcerated. We should do a, a future episode on uh, the the, the cross nexus between Rayful Edmund and the Georgetown 
basketball team. Oh, yeah. Because there was right. a, a, quite a, a cross nexus there. Um, and we definitely will do. We'll definitely do an episode in the future. But uh, Alpo was, was brought down in 1991 in a federal indictment and then eventually uh, began cooperating with the government and copped to, uh, I believe, uh, over a dozen uh, gangland homicides. And uh, did ended up doing 25 years in prison and walked out finally uh, after being, he was looking at life and uh, ended up walking out after 24 years and uh, was put into the witness protection program, was living in Lewiston, Maine under an alias. So wait a minute, did he serve time and became? Yeah, served time in a, 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 a protection wing. Of, oh, of a federal. Oh, so he, he cooperated right from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm not exactly positive if he cut his deal after he was convicted I, I or before he was convicted. I got but he cut his deal in the 90s. Okay. Okay. Um, had to serve 24 years for the murders that he committed. Yeah. But uh, had an out date and got out in 2015 um, for, you know, obvious reasons. Some of the nuances of, of the criminal justice system. You know, go over the heads of of laymen, and then it's nothing to be ashamed of. I, I have a lot of people that have a hard time understanding how someone can be in the witness protection program and still be incarcerated. Yeah, and right. uh, depends again, on your deal. It, yeah, it's just again, it's some of its order of operation and protocol that you just wouldn't understand if if you're someone who doesn't study this for a living or or involved in in the uh, legal system yeah meting out justice, criminal justice system yeah. not but uh yeah you know you, you you're not you're not always just given a get out of jail free card right a lot of the time you got to serve a chunk of your sentence yeah um even gravano had to a little bit right yeah, gravano yeah gravano had to do uh, yeah five six years phil right. leonetti who i wrote his book oh yeah crazy phil leonetti uh, from philadelphia did five years yeah um so henry hill did uh, uh uh, three or four years. Yeah. Uh, and then walked out into a new life in the witness protection program. So uh, Alpo was living under, um, I think he was uh, living under uh, the name Rodriguez. Uh, and um, was just working regular jobs up in Lewiston, Maine. And uh, at some point in, in the last year or two, it seems like he's, according to reports that are coming out in in New York City, this was a, a big headline grabber because Alpo was, was so iconic and yeah. um, was such a big deal in his heyday. Uh, reports have been coming out that he, he, he appeared to be sneaking back in to, to Harlem, you know, back to his old stomping grounds. And it appeared that he was murdered in the middle of a drug deal or what appeared to be a drug deal. Right. Um, so... He wasn't venturing far off the beaten path for, you know, uh, Alba Martinez, Harlem, drug game. They you know, all those, those were all components uh, just as it, it appears just as much in 2021 and his murder than it was uh, when, when he was rising up the, the criminal food chain and, and, and taken over the Harlem crack game back in the eighties. I mean, he, he died in, in a, in a lot of ways 
just as he had lived in his previous iteration. Oh yeah, in, in, Har- in, in the in the in the Harlem streets. In some ways it was I comes guess, full po- circle. In some ways it was poetic. Yeah, so let's let's set the stage here because let's talk about Harlem first. Let's let's back up and talk about the gangland landscape of Harlem because Harlem looms large. Like when you talk about underworld, whether it's Italian mafia, African American gangsters, Latino gang, like it, it's well, just the epicenter of black culture. Yeah, you know, right. really, and and we always like to go back and, and reference our hometown of Detroit. Sure, really, you know, the two epicenters of African American culture from the 20s yeah. into the civil rights era w- w- was Harlem yeah. and in Detroit, Paradise Valley, Black Bottom. Right. Uh, those two were, were, you know, were very synonymous in, in um, the fact that almost every major African-American uh, from every major walk of life yeah. uh, seemed to be spending time, whether it be Harlem in New York or if they were in the Midwest, yeah. spending time in Paradise Valley. Yeah, so you had not only a lot of cultural production, like entertainment, music, arts, but also there was wealth, too. Like, right. Like, th- th- this was a lot of, you had black middle class and, you know, kind of, in some ways, thriving neighborhoods. Well, Detroit had the Gotham Hotel, yeah. which was a, a headquarters of a major uh, numbers operation, but was also... The gold standard yeah. for uh, a, a black luxury hotel, yeah, um, in in America, not right. just in Detroit. Yeah, so these, so this is a significant place, Harlem, not only for gangland stuff, but just economics, culture, the arts. Bumpy, um, Bumpy Johnson was the first, yeah, you know, African American crime lord to really make a, a a real impact in in the culture there that tr- you know transcended crime. Yeah, so we um, please follow us on Instagram at Gangster Podcast. I I posted a picture of Bumpy Johnson a few uh, few days ago on Instagram, and uh, you know a lot of people liked it because he was actually born on October thirty first. <laughs> so uh, we shouted him out on Instagram. Uh, so if you've never seen a picture of Bumpy Johnson, check out our our, our Instagram. But he's yeah he's like one of the first that we think of um, as uh, iconic gangland figure from Harlem. And he was a guy who was well-connected, not, not only political, but the Italians. And with celebrities. Jewish gangsters, I think, too, yeah, right? He was yeah. connected to. Oh. Yeah, celebrity, right. A lot of uh, uh, African-American celebrities uh, sought his company at the time. Yeah, and he was, there's the TV show now, Gangster of Harlem, which I have not watched, but I hear it's very good. Yeah, but I've also heard they take, they take great, you know, oh, uh, yeah, I've heard liberty that with, yeah. with the facts. Yeah, I've heard that too. But but I, I hear here it's a very good show. Who plays him? Forrest Whitaker. Is that Forrest Whitaker. Yeah, and he's he's usually great. And, and, everything, and if so. you know, uh, you want to do a um, go down at that rabbit hole uh, and go into Bumpy Johnson, uh, you know, on film, and I'd recommend uh, the movie that that's about Bumpy Johnson called Hoodlum. Oh yeah, right. With Lawrence Fishburne. That's a good movie. Yeah, Andy Garcia plays uh, uh, Lucky Luciano. Right. Yeah. And who, Tim Roth plays uh, oh, Dutch Schultz. Yeah. Yeah, so so this is really interesting. So Harlem, you have a lot of colorful figures. So Bumpy Johnson, but you also so Dutch Schultz was th- going way back. He yeah. considered Harlem his territory, right? right? And, Dutch, and he got pushed out by by well, they were all fighting for it, right? Uh, eventually, the blacks and the Italians made a deal, right? But at first, the the blacks and the Italians were at odds, and then 
Judge Schultz, it kind of became your enemy's enemy. Yeah, is your friend. is your friend right? Um, they made a strategic alliance. Yeah, and so what, at one point, Bumpy, Bumpy Johnson uh, coming up under Stephanie St. Clair, the Queen Bee, the Queen Bee, who was you know the the first. Mo- I mean, I don't know if you want to consider that time modern day, but yeah, you know, I'm sure there, I'm sure there were female gangster types in the old West in the 19th century, but in terms sure. of you know the 20th century in uh, Stephanie Sinclair, the the black uh, African American female crime chief of that era who who ran one of the biggest numbers banks uh, in the country, uh, who was uh, from the uh, from the islands. I, I think so. And, uh, you know, she was, you know, the, the really the first uh, newspaper, or I should say the first modern media era yeah. female queen pin. Yeah, for sure. And it's really, her story is really remarkable because you think about how macho that culture is, especially in the 20s and 30s, not only macho, but racist and uh sexist mm-hmm. and yet she, in that world she's thriving as a queen yeah. pen and it's Bump, really remarkable and bumpy johnson uh came up as her yeah. body, bodyguard driver enforcer yeah um and then eventually took over her uh thriving numbers business and made a deal with the italians and worked uh, in tandem with them uh in in a number of rackets in harlem yeah um but at one point he was in a rival posture against both Lucky Luciano and Dutch Schultz. So, and then Bumpy Johnson, my understanding is, um, you know, in a lot of ways he's a conventional organized crime figure involved in gambling, loan sharking, extortion, narcotics, prostitution, and he's got this relationship, working relationship with the Italian mafia. Spent time on Alcatraz. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that they helped you, actually helped the, the, the two guys that escaped. Um, Oh were yeah, aided the, the brothers, by Bumpy Johnson. I don't know if they were brothers. They weren't brothers. Two of the two of the um, one of there's oh, been maybe there. Yeah, there were two. There were yeah. three people. Yeah, right? two, two were brothers. brothers. Right, right. Which they warned them not to house them in the same prison because they said they would escape. I can't remember their names, but they were warned that if you house the brothers together, they'll fig- they'll conspire. And uh, <laughs> to, in the movie, mo- in the movie, the character's name is English. Yeah, but that's supposed to be Bumpy Johnson. The uh, the Escape from Alcatraz in the movie Escape from Alcatraz. Yeah, uh, there's a a pretty f- a well known black character actor. I can't think of his name right now. Who who plays a character named English? Who's supposed to be Bumpy Jones? The picture on Instagram that I have yeah. that that is his Alcatraz um, right. uh, photo. But um, so by the seventies. Things start to change in Harlem, right? Some of the some of the 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 BGs coming up, if you will, baby gangsters. The baby gangsters, not the, not the uh, Gib brothers, not the <laughs> not staying not staying alive BGs. But um, these guys start to uh, become more more uh, trying to establish more independent racket, rackets from the Italians. Well, I, I think they they kind of wanted their cake and eat it too. I mean, they still wanted the Italians. As their supply. Yeah, right. And they still wanted to use having a made member of the mafia, a made member of the Italian mafia as your supplier gave you. Sure. Uh, there was a, a, a status. There was a currency in that. Yeah, right. Um, uh, there was a, it was a status symbol. Yeah. But they still wanted that. Right. 
but they didn't want they wanted total autonomy yeah. outside of that. Right. Because Bumpy, to an extent, was still reporting up up to a chain of command within the Italians. Right. It was almost day, like he was like a captain. Yeah. And he wasn't, but you know what I'm saying. Right. So Nikki Barnes and all the, the what I call the Superfly era uh, Harlem Kingpins, Nikki Barnes, Frank Lucas, uh, Willie Goldfinger Terrell are three that, that come to mind. Guy Guy Fisher. Who was, oh, yes. Who was recently. Forgot about, yeah. Dr. Guy Fisher got his uh, PhD when he was uh, uh, locked up and is now uh, is a free man. Um, those guys were, you know, they were their own men. And not to say Bumpy wasn't, but you know, Bumpy was was respected. He was beloved. He was definitely feared. But he also, at the end of the day, uh, he answered to to people. And I don't think really, if we're going to talk about Nicky Barnes, at least um, at, at his peak, yeah, Maddie Madonna was his connect, and Maddie, you know, turned out to be a Superpower in, in the New York Mafia was one of the five families, uh, Don's Lucchese crime family. Right. But I, I don't think Nikki Barnes looked at Maddie Madonna as his boss. No, he didn't his, report to Or him. his superior. No. So it's, it's also interesting the crossover with pop culture here. Guy Fisher was the um, first African American Apollo. Right. So that, again, theater. pretty significant. Example of this nexus between yeah, Guy Fisher was the protege of Nikki Barnes. Yeah, they had the council. And Nikki Barnes created the council, which was trying to mirror the Italians, right? Because Nikki Barnes organizationally had spent time in prison with Crazy Joe Gallo, right? And uh, learned and and aligned with Crazy Joe Gallo. Yes, yes, right. Um, but again, I, it it wasn't a situation where Nikki Barnes was taking orders from Crazy Joe Gallo. They were right. They were equals in that in that consolidation of and in fact, you know, Joe Colombo was murdered by a guy named Jerome Johnson who was killed within seconds of murdering Joe Colombo, but Jerome Johnson came from the Nikki Barnes camp. So, I mean, Crazy Joe Gallo was using Barnes's men to 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 carry out the highest priority of gangland assassination. So once a lot of these guys, and that scared and that scared the living hell out of the the rest of the commission. Which oh, is why shortly thereafter, Crazy Joe Gallo was murdered. Right. They they didn't like him getting so close to. They thought that they were gonna. You know, he was going to basically <laughs> dispatch the the Harlem black drug crews into the. You know, into the the finely manicured yeah. Italian mob dons estates. He was going to use them as soldiers. Yeah, and, and, and a big takeover, like in the movie um, Black Caesar, right? Which is a great black exploitation flick with uh, Freddie uh, the Hammer. All the, I like a lot of those films. Yeah. I mean, obviously, super. But, Tom, but like that, that Tommy Gibbs character in that movie—that's what he does. He like he he <laughs> declares war on the Italians. Yeah, you see that in some of the other films in yeah. the '80s too, like New Jack City and. Right. Uh, what's the one with Christopher Walken? Uh, King of New York. King of New York. So these guys get taken out, though, in the 70s for the most part. Either they're incarcerated or they get killed, except for, was Frank Matthews Harlem, too? Frank Matthews was 
Because he disappeared. He, he yeah, Frank Matthews, though, was everywhere. Oh, he was, he, okay. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't uh, designated to one particular area of the country. Frank Matthews was supplying New York, Baltimore, Philadelphia, Detroit, Chicago. Uh, he was starting to move out west uh, into into the uh, the Bay Area and Los Angeles at the time uh, that he disappeared. Was he the one that they caught on the surveillance saying he, he'd go shoot up Little Italy if the Italians had a problem with, uh, was that Frank Matthews? You know, they're like the, yeah, the I know infamous. The fa- I know the famous um, <laughs> soundbite you're referring to. I'm not positive if that's Frank Matthews. Okay. But uh, I, know, I know what you're referring to. Right. So, but the but other. Frank Matthews, yeah, disappeared, uh, was uh, under indictment and, and vanished. I believe he's. Probably still alive. He'd be in his you know mid eighties right now, late eighties. Where do people think he is? I don't know, but I I think he was a sharp enough criminal um, to 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 pull a Whitey Bulger, but pull it successfully. Is he hiding in plain sight? Do you think, or he's off the? No, there's a guy from Detroit that did the same thing, John Claxton or oh. Classen. Yeah, his real name was Classen on the street. He was known as John Claxton. But he was the right-hand man to uh, Henry Marzette, who was Detroit's real first black crime lord. And uh, and John Claxton, around the same, Gentleman John, Diamond Tooth John, around the same year or two that Frank Matthews disappeared, uh, Claxton disappeared. I mean, not disappeared, like were, was murdered, like disappeared. Yeah, on the land. Uh, yeah, became a fugitive. So... What's the influence of these guys on the dudes coming up in the '80s, like Alpo, like the guy? How, oh, how, huge. They how want, do they look at like guys like Nicky Barnes? And they like, wanted it. Rich Porter and and Alpo and Az wanted to be Nicky Barnes and Guy Fisher and Jazz Hayden and you know, Frank uh, Black Frank James and all those guys that were were on the council. So the tradition continued on. They, they their street reputation and legacy and all that. So was, let's do the math. Uh, yeah. Rich Porter was 25 when he was murdered in 1990. Uh, would have put him 15 in 1980. So, I mean, he's... He was well aware of He's 11, guys. 12, 13 years old. Yeah. Uh, as, you know, Nicky Barnes is, is at, his, at his peak. Um, so, yeah. And, and just when you're talking about Barnes's influence on people... And I just and I, I've I've said this numerous times, and and I don't want to belabor the point, but I, I just want to keep on reminding people that <laughs> the movie American Gangster, yeah. although it's a great movie, I I I I actually would say I love the yeah, movie. Yeah, I like it a lot too. That it is a false narrative, an absurd narrative that Frank Lucas carried himself the way that the Denzel Washington <laughs> character carried himself in the movie. Yeah. Denzel Washington was doing a a Nicky Barnes impression, but calling himself Frank Lucas. Nicky Barnes was the sophisticated one. Frank Lucas was a they called themselves the country boys, and he was a country bumpkin. And he and yeah, he might have had a nice suit or two, but <laughs> uh he was not sophisticated in any way, shape, or form. Well, even so, the the chinchilla or the or the uh the the famous Right. The coat, coat he was wearing the, the in the Lewis film. Fight. It's not his. Not the Joe Louis fight at the Muhammad Ali. Yeah, it's not his idea, and he's like, "This is right. bullshit. Yeah, this is draws wife, too much attention." Right. And that's not no, right? That's not the truth at all. Of, right? He was he was very showy. So, kind of dude, Rich Porter and Alpo were 
really like you know the 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 Nikki Barnes 2.0 and the way that they carried themselves on the street um they were very ostentatious Rich Porter was more of a diplomat politician um Alpo was a lunatic you know Nikki Barnes was probably a good mix of the two, which is why he was as successful as he was, because I think he could politic and 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 glad hand, but at the same time he was pretty he's a pretty ruthless guy. Um, but, who eventually became a witness for the government and died in witness protection and brought down the commission, or sorry, brought down the council, right? Which he had created in the image of the commission. He died not that long ago, right? Yeah, him and Frank Lucas both died in the last five years. So Harlem has changed, though. By the, I think that's kind of interesting to point out, too, right, that the socioeconomics of the city had changed drastically by the 70s and especially the 80s. And I think that matters, right, because 70s, it's, it's heroin. It's going through a heroin epidemic, and that was being supplied by all those guys we're talking about. But by the 80s, Harlem is even in, is, is even in worse shape in terms of high unemployment, economic recession, underperforming schools, typical example of like an inner city uh, area at, that's, that's facing these challenges. And look at, look, look at the shifting paradigm in the drug world. Right. You, do you think Alpo or Rich Porter or AZ were being supplied by Italians? No. They weren't. No. They had nothing to do with the Italian mafia. So this was only, ten, this was 10 years, 10, 15 years removed from... From from the heyday, or less than 15, 10, you know, 10 years. So by the early 80s, fat Tony Salerno still is... is In the early 80s, but by 85, 86, he's tied up in the commission case. But he but in, he was based in Harlem. Yeah, East Harlem. So what extent was he dealing with any of the, the, the remnants I'm of... I'm sure like, he was dealing with, with, with black heroin dealers. Right, the remnants of... Yeah, the, but he wasn't dealing with the, the crack dealers because by the time he was going off the street in 85... The crack was just coming in. Yeah, and they could get their own cocaine. Salerno was off the street by early 85. The geopolitics of it is is changed because they needed the Italians for the heroin because the Italians were getting the heroin from Southeast Asia, Middle East, through Sicily. With cocaine, you don't need they were going you don't need the, the, the Dominican, anymore. Dominicans and Colombians. Right, right. So you don't you don't yeah. need that. And anymore. in Harlem yeah, there is a there is a, a a wide array of of different ethnicities, and uh, it's multicultural, right? So I mean, Alpo was Puerto Rican. Uh, Alpo was you know, um, Rich Porter was black. Az was black. Uh, not to say Alpo wasn't black, but he was. Uh, he had you know he was, his family was from Puerto Rico, so. So it's multicultural. So there's you can you can network with different people. Yeah. But but I'm where, where I'm going with this is is Harlem is in such a challenging uh, you know stage of um, in terms of dealing with economic recessions things like that systematic racism all these challenges now it's being gentrified but back then but back then it was a sort of ground zero for yeah. like this inner city decay right and so you have a market for cheap drugs this is where ultimately. I'm going. So there's this perfect storm confluence of people looking for a fix that's really cheap, and obviously that ain't powder cocaine. Right. 
<laughs> you know where I'm going, right? But this, right? Well, Rich Porter and and uh, Alpo got got drunk on on power and on money, and anyway, Rich Porter was called Money Rich in the movie. Paid in full, he was Money Mitch, uh, and his character was you know Mitch Porter, uh, and Alpo became uh, Rico. But in the film, they're making this on of, of it's crack is what they're right. What they're selling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they so you could cook up powder cocaine into rock cocaine. It's cheaper for people on the street, and so. They're flooding Harlem with crack, just like some of the people were doing in Detroit, Chicago, no, and, and, other and, places. And unlike other areas where becoming a kingpin and building an empire was a lot of times a slow burn. Mm. You know, it might take a couple years, might take five years. Yeah, right. Good point. In the crack era, you could do it in in five months. Yeah, overnight. And and you know, take over a city or take over a. A, a borough. Um, yeah, so, you know, Rich Porter and AZ and Alpo, you know, they went from nobodies to huge somebodies in in the blink of an eye and went from just, I don't want to say dirt poor, but they weren't going on vacations and driving Benzes. And right. then in a, in a matter of a couple weeks, they can buy anything that they want. And in a matter of a couple months, they're controlling the entire area's d- drug trafficking uh, ecosystem. So they were they were pushing enough weight that they were at some point dealing directly with the Colombians. Yeah. Right? Well, a- a- AZ had the, uh, had the connection, and then um, I believe AZ met the connection at his... Uh, he, before he became a drug dealer, he was working as a dry cleaner. Like just behind the counter to dry clean. <laughs> oh shit! And I think he met the connection. This happens to met the connection through <laughs> oh, the dry cleaner. Yeah. So at be working at, at the dry cleaner at the height of their power, you're saying they are the supplier in Harlem. Yes, from, from I would say '87 to '90, uh, Alpo and Rich Porter were, and AZ were the, the the biggest dope boys in in all of Harlem and. Their names and their reputations rang borough to borough. I was just going to say that. Were they were they supplying any of the other? I don't know. Bur- I mean, I don't think like they were interacting with the Supreme Team. Yeah, because there were some other heavyweights yeah. in their own right in the other right uh, parts of the city. You know, in Queens or or uh, Brooklyn. Uh, you know, the, I know they're because Harlem and the and the Bronx kind of butt up against each other. I think they were they were doing some business in in the Bronx, but I don't think uh, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, uh, but not I don't think there was a, a ton of business outside Harlem. And these guys are known for being particularly violent, correct? Yeah, well, Alpo was. I mean, Alpo, uh, you know, had a had a hair trigger temper, and then Rich Porter was kind of the type that if violence needed to be done, he'd do it, and he didn't think about it. So, but he, I don't think he was an overly violent individual the so way Alpo was. Run us through the, the situation where Porter is actually now in a feud with another Yeah, group. so in the, in the weeks leading up to Alpo murdering Rich Porter, um, so they're, they're at the, the apex. It's the, it's the 80s turning the 90s. It's the last couple months of 1989, and uh, AZ is... is 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 living the dream and, and and following through on it 
where he's get he's getting out when the getting's good. Um, he's taking all that money he made and and flipping the script and getting out of the game. Um, That's unusual, right? Yeah. It's, it's definitely unusual. Although Leighton, who we had on a few weeks ago, we're trying to get. I know people are hot for us that episode. We'll, ta- we're trying uh, to get we'll, it talk, we'll talk about it. At, <laughs> trying to get that at back the end on of the my... episode. I'll I'll <laughs> okay. give us an update on okay. that. But he said. He said his thing was the old school way was that's what you wanted. That was your play, was to make enough money to go legit and get out of the game. And he was like, that changed in the 80s with dudes were like, you too know. Much, there's too much money to be made. <laughs> right, right. You never get out. So AZ's stepping back. Um, Alpo and, and Rich Porter, maybe not on the surface, but there is there are cracks in 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 that relationship that are developing, you know, uh, under the, you know, uh, 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 underneath a layer of 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 them being perceived as partners and and best friends. Is it like a is it a contrast it's in a leadership je- style? It's a, je- or? I think it's a jealousy thing. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, they both were trying to out flash the other one. Um, Can't be two the, alphas, right? Right. Date the best. <laughs> Uh, best-looking females drive the most expensive foreign cars, flash the the most amount of money. Um, I, I'm going to digress for a second, but one of the greatest stories I ever heard on the street about that you know a, a status play was a two kingpins from Detroit in the '80s were were uh, at a bar and arguing over a girl and trying to ex- both like that song Two Princes. Like, they're trying to explain to the girl, like, no, no, you need to be with me because I'm the bigger drug kingpin. And then the other one's like, no, 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 you need to be with me because I'm the bigger drug kingpin. And then eventually they were like, okay, really? Well, let's let's decide right now. Let's sit down at a table and pull out all of our cash. And we'll see who has the most cash on him right now. <laughs> and, you you know, just you're pulling out stacks of money. Um, so Rich Porter and, and Alpo, I think, there there was some quiet animosity lingering. Uh, Porter was maybe a little bit more popular with the ladies. Not to say Alpo couldn't get girls, but Porter was a was um, you know, a ladies he, man. He had a he had a, a a a matinee idol look to him. Like he could have been a like an actor, a real good looking guy. And uh, I think he was getting tired of some of Alpo's unstable behavior. Were they hearing stuff on the street about each other? Like, like Rich is saying this about you, Alpo saying this yeah. about you. Could, you, you. That seems like common. Like when it builds up to something like this, yeah. that you're even with, even it might not even be true, but right. you're hearing like an AZ people start, talking and, shit. And AZ was starting to to distance himself, so he wasn't there to to oh, kind of play good cop, yeah, uh, or or to uh, be a buffer. And uh, then in, in in December, Porter encounters a unprompted attack from his own uncle, which, again, makes this somewhat Shakespearean, like a lot of these great street street stories that we talk about. And uh, his uncle was incredibly jealous of of his ascent. And uh, it was his dad's brother, I believe. And... uh, wanted to be a part of Alpo and Rich Porter's organization. That didn't happen. Eventually, he hooks up with a sociopath by the name of Clarence Heatley, also known as Preacher, 
And uh, Preacher is like something out of a graphic novel uh, or a comic book. Um, he is, you know, he's six foot seven. He's super dark, wears all black. Um, <laughs> he's someone that kills for pleasure and and ran a, a crew that was either known as the Preacher Crew or the Merchants of Death Squad. Mer- yeah, I knew there was like a colorful name. I was trying to look up your article here. And uh, it was an organization. That, Merchants of Death? Uh, that sounds like a band I would listen yeah. to. Yeah. Like- <laughs> They were like a death a, metal band. Uh, they were a hit for hire crew, so you could uh, they, they did contract murders. Um, they were dealing drugs. They were shaking down drug dealers and local businesses. Um, it was kind of like a, a, a one stop uh, vice shop uh, being run out of uh, duly out of uh, Manhattan and parts of Harlem and and parts of the Bronx. And uh, they would also run a, a kidnapping uh, racket, which was turned out to be very lucrative for them, where they would kidnap either drug dealers or relatives of drug dealers or celebrities um, and, and demand, you know, high six figures, low seven figure so they- ransom uh, amounts. And, and most of the times they would recover these or would, 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 get these ransom uh, uh, payments. And uh, if they didn't get the ransom payments, they just, they killed the person they kidnapped. Uh, Bobby Brown um, was was kidnapped by them, and Whitney Houston had to negotiate his release for, I think, a quarter mil. Really? That he owed on a drug deal. Holy shit, I don't remember that story. So the, you know, this, when was that? That was around the same time? Yeah, the 80, yeah. yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ! Preacher Heatley that. was a was just an animal. But he so he operated independently from Porter and yeah no it had nothing they had it so, was totally it, it the, their crew had started before, uh, Rich Porter and and uh, and Alpo. So they sort of resented in some ways the kind of a uh, what well, would you John, say Johnny, like the, so Johnny Porter who was the uncle he went by the nickname Johnny Apples or Johnny Appleseed. I don't know if at one point he was kind of with. Rich and Alpo, and then eventually left and joined Preacher Heatley's crew, or if he was with Preacher Heatley's crew from the start. Preacher Heatley's crew kind of got off the ground, 83, 84. Alpo and, and Rich Porter, I think, were more like 86, 87. But they targeted Rich Porter. And on December 5th, 1989, Heatley and Johnny Appleseed Porter kidnapped Rich Porter's 12-year-old little brother on his way to elementary school and demand half a million dollars. So it's this guy's own nephew, too. Right. His other nephew. Right. That's fucked up. Um, Rich Porter says, I, I think there's some dispute on what the the initial reaction was. Some people say that Rich Porter said, I don't have that amount of money in cash to give you, but I'll try to raise it. Other people said that Rich Porter told Clarence Heatley, I'm coming for you, and now now there's going to be a war no matter what happens to my brother. Yeah. <laughs> um, within a couple days, Rich Porter is, is given word to go to a, a local McDonald's, and at the McDonald's, he's... Is told to go to a 
a stall in the bathroom where there's a styrofoam cup of coffee or it looks like a cup of coffee, and it's his, his little brother's finger. Uh, they cut his finger off and uh, put a, there was a cassette tape in, in the styrofoam coffee cup, and it's of this 12-year-old crying, saying, Mommy, Mommy. Oh, God. They cut my finger off. That's horrible. Richie, please pay this guy. Yeah. Um, Ransom never got paid. Donald Porter was murdered. Alpo shows you how duplicitous Alpo was. You know, he used this as a way to shield himself. He he thought killing Rich Porter in, in this particular at this particular time was all the suspicion would be on Preacher Heatley. Right. No one would. It, people would think obviously this came from Heatley because him and 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 Heatley were at war. But in reality, it came from Alpo, and Alpo told people that he thought Rich was stealing. I, it, I think it, it shocked a lot of people that when it came out that who 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 pulled the trigger on that? Uh, it was Alpo, and, and I think Alpo's bodyguard. Alpo's bodyguard shot him a couple times. He didn't die, and then Alpo came and and uh, did did the execution shot. So Porter didn't have his own security detail. He didn't have his own. He thought he was. I mean, this was his partner. Oh, man. that's right. Yeah. Like I'm saying, like this was. It's that this is Goodfellas stuff. I mean, yeah. this is like your your killers don't come with masks. Yeah. And silencers. They they come with smiles. So even though even though there was there was this growing uh, animosity animosity, but he didn't suspect. I don't think so. He didn't suspect. No. They would get this this right. extreme. And I think Alpo saw it as an opportunity. Like, there's all this beef going on yeah, between he's, him and he's Heatley. wounded he's wounded Take, yeah yeah so that was the legacy that alpo left behind in harlem and people were really pissed off right because porter was a beloved even yeah. though he was a bad dude and a gangster and shit but he wasn't he like yeah, kind of beloved love, on the streets yeah, money mitch or money rich sorry in the movie he was money mitch yeah mckay pfeiffer was also in eight mile so even in that world people were still like that's cold that's yeah. some cold shit. <laughs> yeah. And then it came out that Alpo was snitching, and everyone's like, you know, the baddest motherfucker Harlem's ever seen is now working for the government. Yeah, parallels with Whitey Bulger. Yeah. South Boston, right? Yeah. Um, so what about, what, what's the D.C. connection again? So then he... So, yeah, so he... He has to, he has he to bounce le- Harlem? He left right after Rich Porter's murdered in January, January 3rd, 1990, so it's three days into the new year, uh, and he leaves Harlem ostensibly telling people he's going to plant a flag in Washington, D.C. And I'm sure he was, but I also think he was leaving because of what happened with Rich Porter. Did he think there would be retaliation? Well, he knew he did it, so he knew there wouldn't be retaliation, but I think that was the story he wanted to put out. I'm, I'm getting out of town because... You know, the Heatley crew might come after me now. Ah, I see. It's part he, of the ruse. Right. right. I got gotcha. you. And I think I want to, and I think it's, I want to expand. Sure. Because that, that at that true. time, Rayful Edmond had just gone down. Rayful Edmond, the biggest uh, drug kingpin Washington, D.C. has ever seen, uh, ran the um, the crack game in, in D.C. from, from 85 to uh, 89 and is currently uh, in prison doing a life sentence trying to get out, he he also began, began cooperating. Uh, but Rayful Edmond had just gotten taken off the street, like literally like months before that. 
And uh, I think Alpo saw a way to, to come into D.C. and, and uh, devour the territory that was left behind by Rayful. He ended up hooking up with a guy named Silk Perry, who was another sociopathic drug-dealing killer type. Um, and he lasted a year in D.C. before he was uh, indicted and uh, was brought down in 91 and was in prison from 91 till uh, uh, 2015. So when he goes to D.C., though, does he inherit, like, Rayful Edmonds' crew, or how I, does I that work? I don't really know. Because you'd think know. he'd have some guys that were still out there that were, yeah. you know, formidable. Well, he did have. He had a guy, uh, Rodney Moore, I believe was his name. They called him, I think, the great Rasu. Uh, Rodney Moore had taken over for Rayful. And I think he ran it. He ran it for another couple of years. So Rodney Moore was on the street um, until the early to mid nineties. Um, I I don't know a ton about Alpo's time in D.C. It's it, it it'd be something I'd be interested in in learning more about. Like Silk Perry was a was a, a you know street legend out there. So going there and and aligning with someone that was already a a presence. I mean, we saw it in Montreal with uh, the baby boss, uh, Salvatore Montagna. When he came to Montreal, he linked up with yeah, like, Desjardins. Right. Desjardins. How do you pronounce it? Desjardins. 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 Uh, Consonant was, is silent in France. Right. <laughs> who was already a, uh, you know, a player in, in Montreal. Yeah, so that makes that makes sense. So the Merchants of Death crew, so they they just get by with all of it. Then like no, Porter's all, dead, and and then did well, they the, continue to like operate after? Yeah, because Alpo's gone. Porter's yeah, dead. Yeah, he, Heatley's crew ended up being indicted in '96, so they had okay a, so they had another a few six, years, another there, five right? six years. I see. And there was a like thirty people indicted in Heatley's crew, and they they just kept on murdering people like, <laughs> and then they started murdering people within their own crew. Yeah, it always happens. Um, the um, and that sort of happened in Detroit with like the best friends and that they start. We talked about this with the Purple Gang too. They yeah, they were killing, killing each, each other, other each other too. Yeah, uh, with you know in in Harlem, with 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 the Preacher Crew or the Merchants of Death Squad, the second in charge of that group, who was the right hand man to Preacher Heatley, was a former New York police officer, John Cuff. They called him Big Cuz. So you you had and and he was someone that had a lot of issues on the force with excessive violence and uh, shootings that were investigated, and uh, he was you know you you just had this group of yeah be, the best friends in Detroit are, are a good analogy of of groups that you know smart criminals successful criminals understand that violence is. It's, at some point, it's a necessary evil. That's just, it goes along with the territory. But smart criminals, successful criminals, for the most part, don't get off on murder. They don't get, um, they're not uh, motivated by murder. Right, like Scarfo. He liked killing right. <laughs> He liked, it wasn't just business. He right. liked killing people. So it's like it becomes the knee-jerk reaction to everything yeah it's not last resort it's yeah anything and everything 
the murder is the is the solution. Yeah. And uh that's what the best friends were. Just like in Detroit, the best friends were a, a African American murder for hire crew that eventually became a narcotics trafficking crew that probably killed two hundred people in 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 four years. Yeah, they they were notorious. Um and uh just were bloodthirsty. And yeah, that's what Preacher Heatley's uh group was like. And and he uh he copped to he copped to like fifteen murders. They suspect him in like fifty. Uh but the only reason he copped was to avoid the death penalty. So he, he's he's serving life in prison. So when they back to Elpo for a moment, when they when they, they bust him and they make the case against him. Is the Porter murder part of that indictment? Do we know or no? But he admitted to it. That's he how admitted to it. That's okay. how we know that. It, and that's how we know what happened. And the response on the streets, right? People were even. They were already distraught because Porter was this beloved figure. But when they find out that Elpo, his you know his, his right hand dude, is responsible for, it, I mean that that created a lot of it was a couple years bad later. blood. It was a couple and, years later, yeah, and, but, he, and, but, and Elpo was gone at that point. Yeah, but but they were. But my understanding is that. Like the Porter family to this day hates him oh, with like a sure, because I don't know if you read like when when they when he was murdered, the, the Porter family they talked to the media and they were like celebrating. They were very happy yeah. at this news. That uh, and my and my understanding from those articles were like that that was it's not just the family that there were a lot of people in Harlem yeah, that had a lot of ill will towards yes, Alpo. Right. That's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. But then we were talking off air a little bit. Is it possible that this wasn't a revenge killing? That this was just a right. drug deal gone wrong, and that people didn't the people that killed Alpo didn't realize it was Alpo? It seems like that's a real possibility, yeah. doesn't it? I don't dismiss it at all. I don't. When when I heard that they found drugs at the scene, and that he was seen tossing the drugs from the car in the seconds before he was slain, he thought. It was the cops. I mean, to me, that's by throwing it out of the car. Yes. So either someone rolled up on him while he was in the middle of a deal or the person that he was doing the deal with pulled a weapon. I I, I don't think in any way, shape, or form that this is a slam dunk, that this was a revenge killing and that someone was was waiting for him to come back into Harlem. Does it seem like he had been visiting Harlem? Yes. Like Because didn't he do like a, like some social media even or something like that? I don't know about he, that. Um, I don't know. Because it seemed like, you know, there was, he was kind of visible uh, to a certain extent, which is odd considering. Well, I think he was visible in Lewiston, not as Alpo. Right. No, but I'm saying even in New York, I heard that people, I think I read that people knew that he had been. That he'd been coming back. He'd been coming back. Every once in a so, while. So, you know, it's it's always possible that someone that was trying to get revenge on him sure. knew that he was trying to dabble back in the drug game, hired someone to tell him that there was a drug deal to be done. Yeah. And as the drug as he thinks he's doing the drug deal, they pop him. And it's not unheard of for people in witness protection to go back in the game. Look at Gravano. Yep. I mean, he became an ecstasy kingpin, kingpin in Arizona. Yep. <laughs> so leveraging who he was. Yes, right. Like he was telling his son, go out and tell everyone you're the baby bull. Right. <laughs> so like it's not like this is this hasn't he happened was, my, before. My, my point is he wasn't Sammy the Bull Gravano might have been living as 
Sammy Gargano. Yeah, yeah. But he was letting everybody know sure. that he really was Sammy the Bull Gravano. Right. Who was heading this ecstasy ring. Of course, yeah. He didn't want people to think he was... No. Some, I mean, he wanted to for people yeah. to know he was Sammy the Bull. He didn't want people to think he was some jabroni. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not... Uh, My point is, in, I, don't think, I don't necessarily think Alpo was doing that. No, no. But... And, he, and and Henry Hill was dealing drugs again yeah, at some point, Henry wasn't Hill he? Was caught a, a, a number of times in witness protection. So, so I'm just saying this. This the, they, did a movie, that, they did a movie about it. People don't even realize that My Blue Heaven, which was with Steve Martin, they don't realize that that movie is about Henry Hill. Oh, I didn't. I didn't even know that. My but, Blue Heaven, which is a great tongue-in-cheek mob movie. Uh, about a mobster from New York has to go into witness protection and they put him in like Nebraska and then he realizes that there's all these other mob guys that are in the witness protection in random places in Nebraska and they all come together they form and another. form like a crime ring. <laughs> and that was based on Henry Hill, wherever he was. I think he was in Kentucky. Yeah. Um, getting together with a couple other guys that were in witness protection and starting to run rackets. So this is not unprecedented that a dude in witness protection would get back into their old no <laughs> familiar territory uh i think there some of this comes down to understanding reality versus movie reality and uh again i don't expect layman to to understand specific nuances of the witness protection program because it's why would you right but i i think i might i've said this in a previous uh, episode, but you get into the witness protection program, they give you a new identity, they set you up with a job, they get you a house. You're in contact with the government at that point for maybe another year or two. If you don't have to testify, you don't have any contact with the government after you're up on your feet. Yeah. And that they, they, I think they cut it off after two years. They're like, two years, you're do we're done giving you money, we're done helping you, it's on you. So if you've been in the protection program for longer than 18 months... I mean, outside outside of a, a a security wing in a prison. If you're a free free person in the witness protection program, the government is not your benefactor. Yeah, they're not giving you a check right. every two weeks. Right. So you got to hustle. You, you got to you know. And if you're someone who hasn't worked your whole life, right? What do you know how to do? Right. <laughs> right. Well, that's what you know how to do. Yeah. So let's just talk about before we wrap up here, like the connection to like again pop culture and hip hop. So you already mentioned there's a film made about, well-known film, made about this story, at least the story with Porter. And, and it's uh, actually produced by uh, Jay-Z. Jay-Z and Dame Dash produced it. So in in some of the hip-hop songs, when they're name-checking Elpo, it's usually to diss him, right? Because everyone knew that he, he was... Uh, yeah, Shine has a... Uh, I'm, I'm a I'm a big Shine fan. I'm not afraid to admit it. He wasn't when, around long. He, was only, he only put out two albums. Yeah. Uh, he was supposed to be the next Biggie Smalls. Right. Got in he was trouble, on Bad Boy, got in right? trouble with Puffy, uh, the, the club shooting with J Lo, and yeah. that actually dovetails into Black Mafia family because they were with Wolf Jones that night, and Wolf Jones was killed by Big Meech. That's right. Um, in self defense, years later, but um, in one of Shine's songs, Shine says, "You know, uh, I'm Alpo before he snitched." <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. So, so the. Um, but and I I think there's been some other Jay Z's got a couple of Rich Porter lines. Yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say. So, um, what's going on with the um, with our? We had a recent episode on uh, BMF since you you brought that up, and I know people are hot for uh, it. Already jumped into our top ten right away. The the interview with uh, 
Leighton Simon, you got an update for us? People are asking I, us on I, social media. I think we're going to be able to get it back up in the next day or two. I apologize for the um, – and, and actually, Meek Mill has a whole song called Rich Porter. <laughs> yeah. Meek Mill is one of, you know, one of the bigger rappers of, of today. He's from Philly. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think Leighton Simon, friend of the show, I think that uh, these last couple of weeks have been um, – it's a lot for him to process. And he has people coming at him from all different directions thinking that he's made money off of the BMF scripted television show or telling him that he should be making money off the BMF scripted television show. He's not. Uh, I don't think anyone from the show has even had a conversation with him. So he's just, I think, trying to figure out where he kind of needs to to be business-wise. Sure. So he's a little freaked out. Um, and I think that uh, it didn't help when a woman that we don't know took our interview and kind of scabbed it and put it on YouTube. And Leighton thinks that that has something, that has something to do with our interview, which it didn't. That's why he kind of asked us to take it down. I've clarified it with him, um, but we should have it up soon. I think that, uh, again, I just think Leighton has not been someone that has been in the public eye at all in any way, shape, or form for, for a good 35 years. Yeah, so, and the person apparently did give us a shout-out finally after we contacted them on that YouTube thing, so um, it is what it is. But, well, hopefully we can get that. Well, you know, he's very candid with us, and we were really grateful for his time and appreciated his time. He has a lot of insight. Super, super interesting guy. Great, great storyteller. And um, but, but he's got to do what's right for him. So we respect here at the Original Gangsters podcast. We respect his decision, and and you know whatever whatever works for him, we we honor that. Uh, we're gonna have it back up though. You'll be able to listen to it and. Uh... It's one of the favorite interview. One of my favorite interviews I've done. So yeah, and and if you and if you haven't heard it yet, I just want to say something. Stick with it because the, his stories get better toward the end of the episode. And so if if you know at first you're not so sure about it, stick with it because his stories really get epic, especially as he as he gets going. So hopefully we'll have that up soon. Um, anyhow, well, everyone, thanks for joining us, Original Gangsters Podcast. Please follow us on social media. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, trying to get some presence on TikTok and YouTube. And we have some other content in the works. This dude, Bernie, you should, I wish I could share with you the kind of people he's been meeting with and networking with to expand our content. We've got lots of big, yeah. uh, lots of things in the I can't get into for, it for uh, OG media. But I think, I think people would shit if they... If they yeah. realized who you had been meeting with. So, um, but anyhow, thanks for listening, including uh, the federal government. And so, yeah, right. <laughs> so, some big things in the works, but it just takes time. So, we appreciate your patience. I'm Jimmy Bucciolato, Scott, Scott Bernstein, Bernstein. Uh, Original Gangsters Podcast. We're out.